Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. This morning, we're continuing our series that, we've been, that we started on the good life. And as I've said every week, this is not necessarily about what you think of when you hear the phrase, oh, the good life of going to the beach and sitting back and the waves. This is talking about what it means to live your life well, to live your life of if you follow God's commands, if you fear the Lord and you trust in God, we're told that there is an abundant life that comes as a part of that. And we've been looking, about, looking at three books of the Old Testament and how they discuss that. And, and right now we're focusing primarily on Proverbs. And so before I, before I get into that, though, I, wanna, I want you all to think about something. I want you to think about what your definition of the word friend is. Okay? I want you to think about the word friend or friendship. I want you to think about your closest friends. Think of three people that you can think of maybe that are to you your, your closest friend. And, and what makes them a good friend? Those kind of things. I want you to reflect on that. Because one thing as I was preparing for my sermon today, my sermon in roundabout way will be about godly friendships. I told Catherine, I was blown away this week by just how much the word friend has changed for me over the years. When I was in kindergarten, I had tons of friends. And I wanted all my friends to come to my birthday party. And I could list, oh yeah, Tyler, Bo, Ross, Gibbs, Jared, William, my friends. And by the way, every person I just named, I'm thinking of kindergarten friends that we'd ride bikes and play cops and robbers in the street together, okay? And then you get a little older and you're in high school and you have friends. Looks, looks different. The word friends looks a little different. Or maybe even college, you get to the place where you have, well, I know a lot of people, but I have friends, a few friends. And then... Now I'm an adult, friendship looks even more different because my whole life from kindergarten or even as a baby till senior year of college, you're kind of around people all the time. You're, you're socializing and now as an adult, I don't have that many reasons to really be around a lot of people in a friend concept. There's, you know, when I, when I was in school, the kids, you, you had to sit by someone at lunch every day. You know, you're mandatory friends, like forced friendship. You don't really have that as much as an adult. And so I've just been thinking about this word friend. It has grown and changed so much over the years. And I think it, it continues to grow and change for each of us. All of us are familiar with the concept of friendship. I believe, I, I kind of said this in a sermon before. I, I think at some level, God has hardwired all of us to have some concept of what a good friend looks like. Even as a little kid. Yeah, they're a good friend. Eh, they're, they're an okay friend. You know, we, we didn't train ourselves for that, but we, we started to learn, and we've all been shaped by, we'll see a movie that we love with friends in it, and we learn, that's what I think a good friend looks like, or we'll read a book, and we'll think, that's what friends look like, we'll, we'll see two people spending all their time together, and they're like, man, I wish I had what they must have, they seem to really have something, they're, I wish I had a friend like that, I wish I was that close with someone, and some of us, uh, some people really would like to have quite a few friends, some of us, like me, kind of rely on just one or two friends that I see as a friend. Now, I will say the more I've worked on this sermon, the more I'm not sure there is such a thing as lots of friends. Does that make sense? Does that sound weird? Uh, I think the more I've, more I've been working on this sermon, I've been thinking more and more about to really invest in a friendship, you don't have the bandwidth to really have a lot. 
And uh, if you have a whole lot, do you really have any? Uh, so anyway, I've been, thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this friendship word. And the good news is, is that the bottom line for all of us is that God created us for community. God created Adam, and it was not good until there was another person there with him. Community. God's created us not just for the relationship of marital relationships, but clearly for friendship relationships. Jesus didn't have a wife, and, but he had friends. And Proverbs, as I said last week, we are very familiar with Proverbs 10 through 29, where it's all these smart, wise sayings. But I try to remind you all that Proverbs 10 through 29 is taking the fear of the Lord that we talked about at the beginning of the book. What does it mean to live wise and applying it to your everyday life? Practical application of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. And last week we talked about what that looks like with your words and your speech. This week we're going to talk about what that looks like with your friends. So I've got two main categories that I'm going to talk about this morning. And the first one uh, is one that probably seems pretty obvious. Good friends are steadfast. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend doesn't ebb and flow with the seasons. When, you're, when things are going great, and they're right there with you, and then things really start going south in your life, and all of a sudden you can't really find your friend there, that's not a, that's not a true friend. Or vice versa. If they are going through seasons of everything's great, and you can't find them, and then whenever their life is really tough, all of a sudden they could really use a friend. A true friend is someone that is there in all times, but a real friend, you're really going to be able to see who your true friends are when you're walking through adversity. And I think we can all relate to that. Whenever the bad things hit the fan, you know that the people that are your first call, the people that are the first person there to, to say, hey, I, I want you to know I'm beside you in this. I'm, you know, I'm with you. Uh, I... I love the idea with Jonathan and David where I think either David says to Jonathan or Jonathan says to David, he says, I'm with you body and spirit. He says, I'm completely with you. Uh, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to a brother. Proverbs, in my opinion, shows us that friendship is maybe less or certainly less about quantity and more about quality. And I think that that's something that we don't necessarily learn from our society today. I think there are a lot of people that really like to be able to show off. Look at all these people who are my friends. But as this proverb shows us, sometimes when you have a whole lot of companions, there's a, a chance that, you know, they're not going to be sticking with you, but a friend, a true friend, will be with you closer than a brother or sister. Proverbs 19.22 what is desired in a man is steadfast love. This word is the word I've, I've used a few times in sermons, but it's that Hebrew word for hesed, which means steadfast faithfulness. When it talks about Ruth sticking with Naomi, it's her hesed, her steadfast faithfulness to Naomi. What is desired in a man is steadfast love. A poor man is better than a liar. This last part, you're like, wait, that seems random. And I, I think what it's saying is it would be better to have a friend who is a poor friend but steadfast than it would be to have someone who's everything's going great in their life, but they're a liar and they don't stick with you and they're not dependable and trustworthy. I, I love the Proverbs because these preach for themselves, you know? You don't need me to say anything. As soon as you hear a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity, everybody knows what that's like. This next slide, though, is one that I would say maybe, I think someone who's not a Christian could read everything I just read and agree with it. I think this next slide might be one where uh, a, 
a non-Christian or someone who doesn't know Jesus and the wisdom of God may not agree with this slide. Good friends are friends who lovingly confront their friends. I know uh, I actually was talking with Johnny Morris this week and I was telling him about my sermon and he, he told a good analogy and I, I, thought it, I thought it was a good one. Whenever we were talking about this idea of confrontation, he said, uh, he said, you know, some people would think a good friend is where if somebody said, listen, man, I'm in rough times, I need to rob a bank. Are you with me? A good friend would be like, I'm with you. But he said a real good friend would be like, let's not rob a bank. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you what you probably need to hear. Because I can relate to that. I think sometimes you have these guys that grow up or girls that's like, it's, you know, ride or die. I'm just, I'm with you through the end. Sometimes a loving friend needs to say, hey, what you're wanting to do is a mistake, and I'm not going to do that mistake with you. I'm going to confront you. So let's, let's read some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 27.6 speaks for itself. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. People who don't have your best interest in mind won't have any problem just complimenting you and complimenting you. Oh, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Wait, hey, do you think this paper is good? Should I turn it in? Yep, looks great. Uh, I think you need to work on that. This is a bad paper. Which one of them is a real friend? The one that's willing to wound and to lovingly confront. 2717, this one I'm sure you've never heard before. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens the face of another. I included the face part because that's the, the literal translation. Because the idea is that a blade has a face. And so just like you sharpen the face of a blade, so another person sharpens you and your personality and your face. Remember I told you that in the Bible, whenever it says, God turns his face, turn your face upon me, face symbolizes your presence. So just as iron, it's painful. Iron sharpening iron causes sparks. Iron sharpening iron is not a soft process. It is a difficult process. But just as the sharpening of a blade can be painful, so we True friends will do things that are painful to sharpen and to improve the presence of our friends. 28.23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whenever you're willing, out of love, to confront someone and to rebuke them and say, I, I don't know if what you're doing is right, down the line, that person will find a, a place where they're willing to say, I'm really glad you spoke to me about that. Whereas someone who just says, oh, just full of flattery, that person didn't help that person be transformed in that moment. That person wasn't a part of transforming them. I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I can vividly remember a time where I sat down on a mission trip in Nicaragua with a senior in high school, and we started talking at about 11 p.m., and we ended talking at about 2 a.m., and it was a painful conversation. And I, I remember before that conversation, I said, God... This senior may not ever talk to me ever again and may hate me for the rest of their life, but I cannot not take the moment to call them to something bigger. And what's really cool is for weeks after that, he wanted to meet and have lunch for me to say I was wrong. He really just hammered me all the time saying, when are you going to tell me that what you said you were wrong? Like, I, And about... Two weeks ago, I was a groomsman in his wedding. For a long time, he did not like the confrontation. For a long time, he saw it as an attack. And I just kept coming back and praying, God, I don't know what to do, but I feel like I need to say something. And now, years later, I have found favor with him as a friend because I was willing to say something tough. 
So there are a few things I want to say from these two passages, but obviously they speak for themselves. But the first thing I want to challenge you to think about is, are you looking for godly friends? And one of the biggest deals with friendship that the Bible hates is that for a lot of people, you base your friends on what you can get out of it. The only reason to have a friend or not have a friend is what comes out of it for you. Oh, you've got a pool? Man, I love your dress. Wow, that dress looks really pretty. Oh, you don't have a pool? Oh, okay, I don't have any interest in talking to you. That's teenager friendship. But adult friendship is, oh, you mean there's a chance that I might be in better circles because I'm friends with you? Okay, well, I'm maybe going to take you a plate of cookies when you move in next door to me. The, ne- the person who moves in and works for waste management? Oh, I don't know if we need to take them brownies. That's the way the world looks. And the question that God constantly asks is, when you're looking for a friend, the question you're looking for is, are you looking for someone, whether they're poor, whether they're wherever status they are, are they someone that's going to be steadfast to you and willing to confront you and have real conversations with you? That's the, 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 the lowest tier of this sermon. Here's the more important tier. Are you being a godly friend? There's no such thing as a godly friendship with one of you not being interested in being the godly friend. I say this a lot, and you've probably already heard me say this too. This is, I think, my third time I've repeated myself this sermon, so you know I'm preaching longer. But I always tell teenagers who are saying, why can't I find the right person to marry? Why can't I find that one right person, God? Why don't you send me the one? I always say, quit wasting your time worrying about finding the right person, and you worry about being the right person. Are you becoming the person that's looking for you? Does that make sense? Are you becoming the person that you're looking for is looking for? You worry about that. And so if any of you are sitting here listening to my sermon, you're like, Drew, why can't I have, I want to have a godly friendship. That would be such a blessing to me. I'm going to encourage you, instead of worrying about finding the other piece, you worry about you being the godly friend. You be a godly friend to the people around you, and the people who reciprocate that will reciprocate that. And who knows, it might be a long time, it might be years, it might be months, but you're going to be the one that's developing in yourself that when someone asks for help, you're steadfast. When someone's going through a difficult time, you don't abandon them. When you have a person that, that you love and care about that needs confrontation, you're willing to say, I'm going to confront them. And let me give you a tip about this confrontation thing. When you think about someone that you feel like you need to have a loving confrontation with, if you heard, say this, picture this person, if you heard on Monday that something kind of not so great happened to them that day, that they got a flat tire, that they, and your first thought is, yeah, that they deserve that. You shouldn't be confronting that person. If you're not someone that loves that person and wants everything for that person, you're not the one that should be confronting them. I have thought many times of, I feel like I need to confront that person, but I have not been a friend with that person for years, and I have not built that relationship where the words I say are going to bear any weight. My heart might be in the right place, but if they, don't, if they know they can't trust me, then there's, that's, not, that's not my place. And you have to just pray and hope that God will find a way to do that. But I wanted to make sure I make that point. So the second thing that I think is more important is, are you becoming a godly friend? And then as with all these sermons, I have a challenge to make sure that we make this sermon about Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about for a second, Jesus Christ, the true friend. I've said it before four times. Look at there. Um, I believe that when I come up here, I have to preach Christ crucified. 
And I believe that it would be very easy for me to get up here and just do a sermon about friends. You know, just a, you could hear that anywhere. You know, you could go to any place and any convention and go to a be a good friend. But Jesus has to be at the center of it for it to be true friendship. I believe that. I really do believe that just like with the good life, you can list all these things that would make, that would sound great about a life. But if Jesus isn't at the heart, it's not a good life. And the same is true for a friendship. And so I, I think of phrases from the Bible that as I reflected on Jesus as a friend, the Bible numerous times say Jesus, friend of sinners. I think about that a lot. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus just, we're like, hey, you know, they're sinning? Pfft, whatever. No, we know that from Proverbs that means that he was with them, he was for them, that he stuck by them in their difficult times, and he was not afraid to lovingly confront their sin. You can't find a single story in the Bible of Jesus being a friend of a sinner where he did not call them to more. Okay? That's one analogy. Another thing I think of is we talk about Jesus in this steadfast faithfulness. There is no person that embodies sticking with you more than Christ. There's no one that embodies when everyone else leaves you. And my prayer is that you don't have that experience. But when everyone else does leave you, Jesus doesn't. And, and a thing I think about a lot with this Jesus and friendship concept is the idea that part of friendship is this give and take. And yet Jesus is still willing to give completely even when we aren't. And the, the best analogy that I could think of is from John 15 where he talks about the vine and the branches and he talks about friendship. He says this. He says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So earlier in this chapter, he talks about how he is the vine and how we are the branches and that we are connected in this relationship. And for part of what he's saying is this vine and branches, it constitutes a community of friends. And the model of friendship that he depicts here in John 15, it involves a certain level of, like I said before, there's a, you are my friends if you keep my commands. And there's a, a give and take, a reciprocity between these two. Although the disciples, they, they serve Jesus, obviously, he gives them the dignity of being called his friends rather than calling him his servants. We are friends. By treating them like friends, he has informed them of his father's plans that God has this, and, and you're probably wondering, throughout John, they're like, wait, Jesus, I'm confused. What's going on? But he spent his whole life informing them of God's plans, of God's plans for salvation, of God's plans for them to have this abundant life, to have a relationship with him. And one of the things I really like that I think connects best with this sermon or with this topic is, do you remember I was talking earlier about friends lovingly confront? Well, in John 15, Jesus talks about how God is like a vine dresser with a vine who prunes off the bad branches. And remember I preached that sermon not long ago where the idea of God pruning us is not a pleasant image. But why does a vine dresser choose to prune the vine? It's because he has the best interest of the plant. If he really wants fruit to bear, if he really wants good things to happen, you trim off the stuff that, that, that's, not, that's holding it back. And that's what a true friend does. A true friend is someone where if I were making a mistake, if I were doing something wrong, and Jason was willing to say to me, listen, I have your best interest as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a brother. 
I've got to try and prune you right now to prune off this thing that you're doing. Is he doing it because it's going to make our friendship better? No. Is he doing it because it's going to somehow be better for him? No. He's doing it because he cares about my best interests, just like the vine dresser does for us. The promise of love is the basis of the relationship. Jesus promises he's going to love them and lay his life down for them, while the act of pruning is aimed at the sin that impedes that relationship. Jesus' willingness to die for his friends, his directness in confronting and pruning, and his truthful dealings with them, saying, I'm, I'm not going to keep this from you like a master would keep it from a servant. I'm going to be truthful with you like a friend. All of these things are consistent with the highest order of godly friendships. And so what I want to encourage you to think about today, what I want you, want you to take away from this message about friendship, is that I believe our ability to be a good friend and to, to have good friendships correlates to how much we have made Christ our closest friend and Lord. You will only be so good of a friend if you have decided that Christ is going to be at the center of that friendship. If you're going to base your model of being a friend on the ways Christ is a friend to us. Now, I want to make a side note. One of my pet peeves is whenever two people get married and they say, I just love you because you're my best friend. That's a pet peeve for me only because... I have best friends, but Catherine is so much more to me than a best friend. So it, I feel like it's selling it short. And I feel that a little bit with this sermon. It's like, Jesus isn't my friend. He's my Lord. You know, Jesus isn't a buddy. Jesus is king of the universe. And so I feel a little tension with that. But, but what I don't feel tension with is the fact that when we truly look at what a true friendship is like, of steadfastness, of confronting in a loving way, of trustworthiness, then in that sense, Jesus is our best model of what a friend looks like. Does that make sense? When our definition of friend is buddy who we go ride bikes with and talk about what girl we like, then yeah, selling, calling Jesus a good friend is selling that short. But when a good friend is someone that we yearn for and we long for to be and to have, where we say, I know I can count on this person to always be, whether it hurts or not, trying to help me, trying to help me grow, and I'm going to spend my time trying to help them grow and help them deepen their relationship with Christ, then yes, Jesus is a true friend. And whenever you keep wondering and keep asking yourself, why can't I find good friends? Why can't I find people to be a friend? Ask yourself, how much am I waiting for them to be a good friend before I open myself up to be a good friend? Or how much am I initiating with, I will be trustworthy to you, I will be dependable, I will stick with you, and seeing what comes from that. Two more analogies and then I'm done. One time a youth minister friend of mine told this amazing story that I loved of him and his sons buying a rock polishing kit. Anybody ever bought a rock polishing kit? The way it works is, you know, it's this little thing. You put the rocks in there. You put the creams in there, the different polishes in there. And he, he told the story. He was with his sons, and he was like, okay, we got to go buy battery for this. And they're like, all right, Dad, let's do it. And he reads the instructions, and they turn it on, and they're like, okay, when do we get to turn this off? And he said, uh, the rocks will be polished after three days. And they're like, three days? These are, you know, six-year-olds. Like, I can't do anything, wait for anything for three days, let alone these rocks to polish. And at the end of the three days, the rocks are smooth and they look great. That is what friendship is like. Friendship is something we want immediate results from. You need to benefit my life now. What are you doing to make my life happier now? And yet a true friendship is something where you put the rocks in and the thing that makes the rocks smooth is not being fluffed and pampered. The thing that makes the rocks smooth is you taking your life and their life and grinding 
and getting the, the imperfections out of each other. It is a painful thing, but yet at the end of it, you're grateful that you were in it together. Does that make sense? I believe there, there were three girls from my youth group that are now 23. The wedding I was just at, her and her two of her bridesmaids, these were these, these friends, and they are thick as thieves. And one of the things that I like to reflect on is none of those girls, in my opinion, would have been friends with each other if it wasn't for youth group. I look at Lauren and I look at Morgan and they couldn't be more different than each other in a lot of ways. There's so many things about them where I'm like, y'all, if y'all had just gone to the same school and hadn't been in the same church youth group, y'all would have not have liked each other. You would have been like, uh, I don't hang out with people like that. And she would have been like, I don't hang out with people like that. I, I can feel it in my bones. Can't you agree? They just would not have gone to the home, same homecoming group together. But yet, because they were in Christ, those differences were not the thing that united them, but the things that united them was the fact that they were going to stick with each other, that they were going to care about each other, they were going to have the best interest of each other, and those other things that we often define our friendships as, do we have the same hobbies, do we have the same sports that we play, those are all so shallow. And the reason that they're still together is because they were in a community with Christ at the center where they were going to put each other's needs first and they were going to be able to have hard conversations with each other. And so my prayer for you is that part of this good life that we have, living this good life, is that we are friends. We make good friends. We are good friends to people. And the way that we're, only way we're ever going to see that is if we make Christ our Lord and make Him the center of our friendships. If you would like to learn more about this life and learn more about, Drew, I, I like, I want to know more about this good life. I want to know more about what it means to know Jesus. So many of us would love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you now or after service or anytime this week. Please reach out. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, anything that you would like us to be praying for you about, our elders will be standing at the doors while we stand and sing this song.